You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. I love a good rainy day. You know why I love a good rainy day? It's not the reasons you think. Uh, I don't love it so I can be all like melancholy and listen to Ryan Adams. It's definitely not why I like a rainy day. I don't like to binge watch Netflix. Um, you know, I like a rainy day. I like rainy days because, or snowy days, or like the snow day we just had, um, because it gives me an excuse to stop. You can just stop. Like, it's amazing. This city, this city never lets us stop, does it? Never. Like, when there's a rainy day or there's a snow day, um, I don't have to, like, meet so-and-so for uh, that lunch because so-and-so probably doesn't want to meet either. They don't want to go out. And it's like, okay, we can cancel, and it's okay to cancel. Or if it's, like, a snow day or a rainy day, I don't have to go to Prospect Park or Central Park or the Cloisters or Rockaway or Coney Island or wherever you're supposed to go when it's really, really nice, you know? I don't have to go to one of those places. I can just chill. Um, And when it's a rainy day, like, yeah, brunch is a nice idea, but I don't have to go if I don't want to. Like, it's raining outside. I could stay home. It gives me an excuse to stop. Like, ooh, I love stopping, right? I tell my kids, kids, we're not doing anything today. You know what they do? Ah, thanks, dad. And then they go and put on pajamas. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. Um, Yeah, there's a sense in which we struggle to stop here. Um, You know what? I've said this to a bunch of you. You know what New York is like? I'm going to tell you what New York is like. New York is like playing double dutch. Anybody ever played double dutch before? Double dutch. And if you haven't, you have the two the two, you know, the ropes, they're going back and forth and two people on either side. And this is New York. It's the ropes going back and forth either side and they're being swung. And you're standing over here just like sort of timing, waiting to jump into the, the, the double dutch. And, this, and so we're jumping into New York and then finally we jump into New York and we're just like, and we just keep going and we can't stop because if we stop, the ropes get all tangled and the whole game's over, right? Like, and so the whole thing is when you were in New York, you're just jumping. That's all you're doing and you can never stop jumping. You just keep going because the second you stop, like, you, know, you will fall and break your leg because the rope will tangle. That's what it feels like anyway. That's what it feels like. New York is like a game of double just. New York whispers in her ear, don't stop. Don't stop. If you do, you're going to fail. Last week, um, I asked everybody to write down their fears. I said, write down the fears that you have. Two-thirds of you, I'm not even kidding, two-thirds of you wrote down that the thing that stops you from living the life you want to live is a fear of failure. Two-thirds of you. I'm with you, and I'm with you. That's because we're doing that double dutch thing. We're running, we're running, we're going, we're jumping, and we think the second we stop, it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to be over. Anybody feel that way? Definitely a little bit. And so, yeah, so really, I want a snow day. And I want a rainy day because I want a rainy day so I can stop, so I don't have to jump anymore, so that I have an excuse just to sit back. But then when you sit back, there's also this other anxiety that happens. And this is the, the city that happens on our computers or our phones, right? There's a whole other little group of people over there. It's the social media people. And we've been talking a lot about them recently because they bring a whole other set of anxieties, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, I was like, you know, last Saturday, I was like, let me pay attention to what I do on social media. So I get on and immediately like I'm bothered by someone who wrote like a derogatory comment about um, you know one certain political party but I didn't respond to it I just let it go and then somebody was like hey you can be a Christian and still want to be safe let's close the borders and then I was like I gotta respond to this so I responded like you know it's okay to want to be safe and be a Christian until our safety gets in the way of following Jesus and then I spent the next six hours back and forth with this person who I met one time on a missions trip in 2010. 
what a waste of my time. <laughs> what a giant waste of time. And so I was like, man, this is terrible. And so then somebody else said like, you couldn't be pro-life and be a good person. And I was like, that seems a little fundamental. And then somebody else, an old, uh, college, not college, a uh, high school friend of mine, she bought a house. And I was like, you bought a house. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay the rent barely. Like, this is happening. And I was like, I'm getting off Facebook. I got on Twitter and there was this thing <laughs> that said, um, this, this one I follow, it's called like, uh, uh, in God we trust or something. One nation under God and one nation under God said, all of our politicians must repent and ask forgiveness, especially Hillary Clinton. And I thought that was funny to call her out because she just lost, right? Like give her a break. And then um, I read another reputable news source and they said that there was government corruption. So now I start Googling government corruption and then I'm getting all these Twitter feeds that says like, friends, if your pastor doesn't talk about refugees, the Syrian crisis, Sudan, LGBT, pro-right, pro-life, pro pro-choice, uh, education, poverty, or any of the above, they're not really Christians and you should find another church. So then I'm like, let me look at my message. Do I have all those things in my message? Like, am I good? Am I good? And I was like, enough. So I jump off there, I get onto Instagram, or one of you who is at this service today, right now, I won't say who, posted a picture of your food at a nice restaurant and I had just heated a frozen lasagna for my children. <laughs> and it was terrible. And I thought to myself, self, should we go out to dinner? Should I take the kids out? And I was panicking. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? There's so much happening. And I'm, I have so much anxiety. And I just want to stop. But I couldn't stop. I kept looking at my phone. I kept scrolling. And finally, I was like, come on, kids. We're going to sushi. And walked out the door. And I just wanted to lose it. Can I get an amen? amen. How many people are with me? How many people are with me? Just two of y'all. I'm up here bearing my soul to you. And everybody's two of you. And now, we're at church, and uh, I've asked us to do a lot. I've said, hey, in this political climate, there's a lot we need to do. We need to follow the politics of Jesus. I've said this, and I believe this. I believe we need to do it. And so I talked about what it means to stand up for the oppressed, to fight uh, for those who need our help, to um, you know, stand for the refugee. To, and you know, I said, let's protest, but let's protest the things we stand for, not the things we're necessarily against, right? So I've, I've called us to action. We have 100 days of action. And in fact, every day we post something on Facebook. And at my hope, and like the realistic hope that I have, is that once or twice a week, we're interacting with one of these things. We're doing one of these things in this 100 days of action. But because I'm the leader of the church, I'm like, well, maybe I should do something every day. And I'm like, I'm gonna try to do something every day. And then my friend calls me and he's like, hey, come to the protest at Grand Central. And I'm like, I can't, I got the kids. And he's like, just get the babysitter for the kids. And I'm like, but that costs a lot of money and I don't know if I could do it in time. And I feel incredibly guilty about not helping or going. Anybody else feel guilty about something like that? A few more, you feel guilty about something like that. And when I put this all together, living in this city and constantly playing double dutch, and then a city on a computer where we're constantly bombarded, and when I think about the action that's required, because I bet you not many of us were thinking about our democracy about seven months ago, were we? I'm overwhelmed. I want to crawl in a hole. I want to like put the covers over my head. Anybody else? All right, good, good. I'm glad that we all have terrible anxiety and are losing it. <laughs> so um, why am I saying all this to you? I'm saying all this to you because honestly, and I'm not even kidding, I think there's a little bit of hope. 
I think there's some hope. I want to give us some hope, all right? Here's the hope I want to give us. I want to give us hope that is found in 1 John because we've been in 1 John and we know that 1 John is a church and we know they're a church that was struggling with a lot of tensions, some fake prophets, some fake news. They weren't sure who to believe or how to believe it, right? That was a big deal. You have people who have left Jewish tradition and Jewish culture to move into something entirely new and because they're uncertain, they're like, maybe I should just move back into what I know to be true in Jewish faith and, and then on top of that, you have this entire backdrop, which is the Roman Empire, right? So it's one of the most violent, oppressive empires that ever existed. Um, And so you have all these things, right? All these things are there, and all these things are true, and all these things are happening, and you have John. What's John saying? Well, we've gone over it. He goes, you know, you got to love. You got to love like Christ loves you when Christ inhabits your sarks, your flesh. And what you got to do is, yeah, you need to make sure that you're giving to one another in this community. Give to one another to where your splonknons, remember this, your splonknons? come out. Yeah. And then, you know, last week we said, you know, yeah, you want to um, love because love's going to drive out whatever fear we have. So we want to make sure we're loving one another well. And then in the midst of all this action, right, stuff, he gives us this, this little bit, this little, this little piece of like, I don't know, just encouragement or hope or whatever it is. He says this, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And so, I don't know if you feel this way. When I first read this, I was like, I don't get it. And so I was like, let me dig a little deeper. So I'm digging a little deeper. There's this pastor, Shane Hips, who I listened to, and he helped break down the Greek. And the Greek is two words for condemn, kata, which means against, and gnosko, which means knowing. So Katagonosko, against knowing. So basically, you could read it like, this is how we know that we belong in the truth, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts are against knowing us, and that still felt kind of weird to me, I was like, how do I break this down? So I kept going, and I found out that this against knowing, this katagonosko, can also be used to mean two different things. The first, and I'll talk about this, is guilt. So katagonosko can also mean guilt. So now, when I read it, if our hearts are guilty... We know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts are not guilty, we have confidence before God. What does it mean to have a guilty heart? Um, I need to talk to you about guilt and conviction. They're two very different things. Conviction is when you know you've done something wrong. Like, you have wronged somebody. You have not made this world a better place. You have not brought peace to, to this city in some way, and you know that you need to make amends. People will say, I feel guilty. No, you feel convicted. You got to make this right, okay? Uh, I've never told this story to anybody. I'm going to tell it. When I was in 10th grade, I was messing around with a lighter at school, and by accident, I, I caught a girl's hair on fire. It was terrible. It was terrible. But I didn't catch it all the way, just the bottom part, and she didn't realize it. And so I ran away, and, she, and somebody else got blamed for it. That, my friends, is conviction, Okay, I was convicted. I was like, this is, I did something awful. And like, luckily she was fine. Like, luckily it didn't like cause much damage or whatever. But finally, like after a week, I, I went up to her and I just said, hey, I was the one that did that. I'm really, really sorry. Like, that is conviction. Okay, guilt is completely different. Here's what guilt is. Guilt is when you have paid for that transgression and you still feel like you are less of a person because of it. Guilt is the belief that something is your fault even when it is not your fault. Guilt is that feeling that you have 
where you're afraid that you are going to be exposed. Like somebody's gonna find out you're a fraud. Somebody's gonna find out you don't know what you're doing. Somebody's gonna find out that you um, don't have your act together. That is what guilt feels like. Guilt needles at you. It won't let you stop. Keeps telling you that you're not the person you should be. Keeps telling you that you should do more. Keeps telling that you're not doing enough. That's what guilt does. It just hits you. Needles won't stop bothering you. That's guilt. And so what this passage is saying is if our hearts are guilty, if they're feeling that way, our God is greater than our hearts. Basically, it's saying you are believing a lie. To believe in that kind of guilt is believing a lie. I can, right now, just think about the things that you feel guilty about. What do you feel guilty about? You don't have to tell me. I mean, in five seconds, I was like, I feel guilty about how I'm a husband. I feel guilty about how I'm a dad. I feel guilty for not doing enough. I feel guilty for not meeting enough people, for not stopping and giving money to every homeless person I see. Like, I can just start rattling off things I feel guilty about immediately, and it stops me from living the life I need to live. And God, in this passage, says it's bigger than your guilt. That means that your guilt, our guilt, is a lie. The fact that you are not loved because, and you feel guilty about that, is a lie. This group of people that John is speaking to are a group of people who believe dearly in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when we see when people interact with God, uh, they often say, well, I've done this, so God must be angry. And I think what you start to realize when the New Testament comes along is that humanity does not have the power to make God angry that would make for a really little God. And yet we feel guilty. I'm making, doing something wrong making God feel upset and making God feel angry. I'm a depraved individual. I'm sinful. I was born sinful. God wants to separate God's self from me. I'm guilty. I feel bad about that. That is a lie. This passage tells us that God is bigger than that guilt. This passage tells us that God loves us even when we feel Unloved. This passage tells us that when we are moving in double dutch and cannot stop but want to stop, God says, do not feel guilty. You are allowed to stop. This passage tells us that when we think we have to fix everyone's misguided opinions in social media, no, you do not. You are loved regardless. And if you miss the protest, it is going to be okay. God is bigger than you. That's what this passage is talking about. The good news is that you do not have to believe the lie that you cannot love or are not able to love or have no one who loves you, that's just not true. God is bigger than that guilt. And so I know when I'm going through and I'm feeling like I'm gonna be exposed, that I'm a fraud and I'm like, I don't know how anybody could like or love me, I just practice believing that no, there's a God who says, no, I'm bigger than that. You are loved even when you don't love yourself. Hear the good news, you are loved even when you don't love yourself. That's what this passage says. And then it goes on because there's another way you could translate this passage and the other way you could translate this passage is by using the word confusion. And for some reason, confusion fits better for me right now. And so let's talk about how it would sound like if we were to use the word confusion. If our hearts are confused, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts are not confused, we have confidence before God. Confusion, so how do we talk about confusion? Um, I was on vacation last year and I watched a man put some goggles on at the pool and then he swam all the way across from one end of the pool to the other underwater and then he hit his head on the pool, like just swam right into it. And so I sort of jumped up. I was like, oh man, is this guy okay? Like he just 
ran into the pool. Like, so I go over and he jumps up and he sees me and I think he knows like I'm coming over to make sure he's okay. And he goes, my goggles fogged up. My goggles fogged up. And he's like waving them in the air. I'm like, all right, man, you're all right. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you guys? No, your goggles never fogged up? You're not skiing and like you're going down the hill and all of a sudden your goggles fog up, they get all sweaty? You guys are lucky. Hey, how many people used to drive? How many people used to drive? Remember when your windshield would fog up and you would have to drive like this, looking down like through that crack? And like you couldn't really see, but that's how you drove? Like, so this is the context. The context is when you are working with like a foggy lens or like when you don't have clarity about what comes next. You can raise your hand on this one. How many people in the past year have felt like they don't have clarity about what comes next? There's some really, really smart people who are like, I always have clarity. (laughs) The rest of us are fairly normal. We see a lack of clarity. We see foggy goggles. We see that kind of lens as being a weak, weak attribute. We see it as being something that, that, that says we're not as good as the next person. I know I do. I know that as a leader of this church, there are times when I don't know what comes next. There are times when this feels foggy, when I'm like, well, I don't have clarity about what we should do or what should happen. It's not there. And you know what I feel like? I go, don't tell anybody. Because if you tell someone that you don't have clarity or that you don't quite have it figured out, everybody's going to bail on you. That's a weak sign. That's weakness. And just recently, I've been like, you know what? Well, I can't just keep this in. And I need to talk to people when there's a lack of clarity or a lack of vision. I want help. And so finally, I've said, hey, by the way, there's a lack of clarity and a lack of vision. And the, um, the response from this church, from our people, from our leaders has been profound. People are like, we've been waiting for you to say that. There's nobody on earth that has clear vision the entire time. It does not happen. And what John is saying is he's going, you, you will not have clear vision the entire time. Guess what? God's bigger than that. Guess what? You're okay. You do not have to bear this burden alone. What don't you have clear vision about? Maybe you're one of the 10 couples getting ready to have another child or a child. Maybe you're like, oh, how long am I supposed to be in the city? A long time. Don't leave. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, uh, you know what, I don't have clarity about that relationship. I don't have clarity about this job. There's so many things. I don't have clarity about what's going on politically. Like, I just feel like I'm paralyzed. And I feel weak because of it. I feel like I'm weak. I feel like if I found out, people would look at me and think less of me. And what God says is, no. No, you are not meant to bear that burden alone. When you're confused, that's not something you're meant to do alone. When you're confused, you know that I know your heart and I'm bigger than your heart, believe it. And so when you're struggling and you feel guilty and life isn't the way it's supposed to be and you need a rainy day, uh, what God is saying through this passage is go ahead, stop, take the rainy day and rest. Rest in knowing that you are my beloved. You are the one I love. No guilt, no lack of clarity, no confusion, no thinking you're a fraud or anything else will stop me from ever thinking that about you. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to believe. (sighs) If you're like me, believing this is way harder than actually hearing it. Yeah, like I want to believe that God's bigger than my guilt, but I promise you I'm going to go home and feel guilty. How many people feel that way right now? 
I like to believe that God's bigger than my confusion, but I'm not gonna be, it's not like he's gonna snap and I'm gonna not be confused and have clarity. No, probably not. It's super easy not to believe. It's really, really easy not to believe. Things aren't going away. I don't really believe God's at work. God's, I'm in a desert spot, you know. God's quiet. Maybe God doesn't exist, I don't know. It's easy to do that. What's not easy is to say, I'm gonna suspend my disbelief And when I feel guilty about X, Y, or Z or feel like I'm gonna be found out as a fraud, I'm gonna truly believe that God is at work in this. I'm gonna pray through it. I'm gonna talk about it. We're gonna practice belief. And when we're overwhelmed and we have lack of clarity and we think we have to do this whole thing on our own, otherwise the whole thing's gonna fall apart, we're gonna say, I believe that I do not have to carry this burden alone, that there's actually a God who carries this burden with me. I'm gonna act on it. I'm gonna act like that's the truth. And when God says, you don't have to carry this burden alone, there's a group of people here that all decided to trek out when it's snowing and sleeting and it's gross outside, and I'm really impressed with all you, by the way. And we're gonna come together and you're gonna say to one another, you know what, I feel super guilty. And one of you are gonna say to the other person, you know what, this isn't your burden to do alone. You're loved even when you feel like you're not loved. And someone else is gonna say, I just turned whatever, this age, and I don't know what to do with my life and I lack clarity. And someone's gonna say, it's okay. You're not meant to do this alone. There's a God at work in it. I think 26, five, 26. And that's exactly what you're feeling. (laughs) That's good news. It's good news because we have this God and it always comes back to Jesus, right? We have this God who says, you know what? I get this. You are my creation and I'm not separate from you. I love you and I love you to the point where here's Jesus, the Imago Dei, the image of God. Oh my gosh, Jesus is a human being who walked with uncertainty, who prayed, God, can I not do this one thing? Do I have to die? I don't like this, right? And if God's fully human in, in, in Jesus Christ, then absolutely there was, there was guilt in the way Jesus felt. Jesus felt guilty. I'm sure when Jesus was like, I gotta leave my mother and father, there was guilt there. Like I'm positive, like if Jesus is fully human and yet we have a God who says, look at this, this is who I am and yes, there's guilt and there's pain and there's suffering and there's difficult parts but I'm bigger than it, I beat it, I'm resurrected so that you know I'm working with you right now. That's good news. So today, we're in need of a snow day or a rain day when we're going to look at our social media and something's gonna make us angry when we're gonna have anxiety over something else that I don't even know about, something that happens you know, to you guys that's subjective to you in your way that I can't even begin to understand. Whatever that anxiety is, whatever it brings, whatever happens, let's choose to believe that we are loved, that we are not in this alone. Close your eyes. This is a prayer, Franciscan prayer. And I want to read the Franciscan prayer to you. I want it to be a prayer for you. After Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him, and a voice came from the heavens saying, you are my beloved. I'm very pleased with you. So settle in. Relax. Become attuned with God in you and around you. Allow God's love to show itself to you in some way. And then I want you to pray these words. And I want you to repeat them. And they're simple. Just pray, Jesus, 
you are my beloved. And you could pray it in your head. Just say it a few times. Jesus, you are my beloved. Jesus, you are my beloved. Jesus, you are my beloved. And then Paul says in Romans 9, 25, that we too are destined to become the beloved. So let our core being soak up God's favor, recognizing yourself as beloved and let this truth settle into each cell of your being. And now we start saying, Jesus, I am the beloved. Repeat that. Jesus, I am the beloved. Jesus, I am the beloved. Jesus, I am the beloved. Now let your heart be filled with people and family and relatives and neighbors and friends and someone maybe that you read about in the morning paper and don't exclude anyone. Think of everyone that you've come across and your heart will bring to the surface the ones that you need to give attention to. So think about that for a second. Who needs the attention? Who's struggling and can't do it alone? And pray these words to embrace them and us and everyone in this room. Jesus, we are all the beloved. Jesus, we are all the beloved. Jesus, we are all the beloved. Jesus, thank you that we are your beloved. Jesus, thank you that we are all beloved. Amen.